little bit of house cleaning here before we get into the uh, main stuff. Uh, for those of you who may or may not know, the other day we officially launched, it is now out, that little project I've been working on for a little over a year now. Movie Trailers, A Love Story is now out and available, and uh, you can get it worldwide, wherever you live on the planet, you can get it at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. That's where you can find my movie there. Or if you live in the United States or the UK and you want another way to watch it, in the US and the UK, you also have the option of getting it on Amazon, and it is there as well. And I just wanted to we t to tell you guys thank you we had such an incredible launch uh of the movie that well blew way beyond my uh, expectations and my hopes for how it would do so thank you for helping us have an amazing launch thank you for all the kind words i've gotten from you guys and for those of you who haven't seen it yet if you're a movie fan and you love movie trailers this is our documentary looking at the history of the movie trailer and the evolving relationship that the movie trailer has with us as fans so i really do hope you'll go and give it a give it a shot and if you do i hope you find it as interesting as we did making it all right guys Let's get into our topics now today, shall we? And we have a number of topics today. And how do we select our topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, when you come across a really interesting topic or story that you think we should cover here on the John Campy Show, go on over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric the Green, who writes, Hey, John. With Wonder Woman 84 going to HBO Max, I started to wonder what would happen to that Amazonian movie Patty Jenkins talked about before, but apparently she still intends on doing it and says that it'll be the connective tissue between Wonder Woman 2 and Wonder Woman 3. What do you think of her comments? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, listen. Patty Jenkins is just one of these directors I get very excited about. I think she's incredibly gifted, and I really like what she did with the first Wonder Woman film. And I've been looking forward to Wonder Woman 2 or Wonder Woman 84. Granted, I admit, I have not been completely thrilled with the trailers for Wonder Woman 84, but I'm not going to worry. You know, Patty Jenkins didn't make the trailers, so I'm not going to worry about that too awful much. But one of the things she talked about a couple of months ago was indeed the fact that she was going to do another Wonder Woman after Wonder Woman 84, but that she also wanted to do a kind of a spin-off movie that would sort of connect the Wonder Woman films in an Amazon, you know, an Amazonian, a movie about the Amazonians. And she finally spoke about it again because she hasn't really talked about it much lately. And she recently talked about it again and she said the following. This is a story that Jeff Johns and I came up with and then introduced to Warner Brothers. The events of this story, talking about the Amazonians, take place after Diana leaves Themyscira. So after the events of the first Wonder Woman movie uh, off the island of the Amazons. And there are some twists and turns linked to what will happen between Wonder Woman 84 and Wonder Woman 3. 
The production of the project has not yet officially started, but I hope we get it because I love this story. So that's interesting stuff to know. To me, this is actually really, really interesting stuff to know because when she first started talking about doing this Amazonian thing, we didn't really know when would it take place. Like some of us, like me, I wondered, to be honest with you, if would this Wonder Woman Amazonian thing take place as a prequel? Maybe it was during the the formation and the foundation of Themyscira itself. Maybe this will be, you know, when uh, the queen was pregnant with Diana. Or maybe it would happen long before. Maybe it would end with her pregnancy. We didn't quite know what the time frame would be. So now understanding that she'd be kind of be looking at putting this in between as connective tissue, as they said, as Eric said in the email, between Wonder Woman 84 and Wonder Woman 3, that's exciting to me. That's exciting to me because now they can introduce a storyline that can then get picked up in Wonder Woman 3. That means they can take some time and lay some foundation so that by the time we get to Wonder Woman 3, there's already a lot of narrative and there's already a lot of specific parts about the mythology that we as an audience will already be familiar with and can get on board with and get excited about. Now, I will admit that my excitement for Wonder Woman 84 or my excitement for Wonder Woman for Amazonians or for Wonder Woman 3 is going to be somewhat a little bit tempered by the whole notion of how will Wonder Woman 84 be? Because listen, while I trust Patty Jenkins completely, and while I've been excited about it, there are two things that make me a little bit nervous about Wonder Woman 84. One is the fact that the trailers haven't been great, right? Trailers haven't been, Again, Patty Jenkins didn't make the trailers, so whatever. Maybe the movie's fantastic. The, the recent announcement, though, of Wonder Woman 84 being moved to HBO Max, that also makes me just a little bit nervous. It makes me just a little bit nervous because my fear during all the streaming stuff has usually been about, you know, when a big studio moves something directly to streaming, it sometimes meant that the movie wasn't all that good. Now, I'm not saying that Wonder Woman 84 won't be good. I really like the first one. I have no reason not to trust Patty Jenkins, but that does make me a little bit nervous. But I will tell you what. I, I like this news that she still seems to have her eye on doing this Amazon show. I think it's a great idea knowing that it's going to be the connective tissue between the two Wonder Woman films setting up the third film. I think that's great because that also gives an Amazonian movie purpose within the grander scheme of the Wonder Woman films. So I think that's important too. So overall, I think this is good news. Question is, guys, what do you think about that? Do you like the idea of her moving forward with an Amazonian sort of movie? What do you think about the time frame it's going to take place in? Are you looking forward to Wonder Woman 84 like I am? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by John Dobbs. And John Dobbs writes... Greetings, John. Well, greetings, John yourself, John Dobbs. Uh, greetings. It's been five years since Godzilla was first announced, since Godzilla versus Kong was first announced, and it now looks like it has a home. The Hollywood Reporter has come out about a Netflix uh, offering a $200 million deal. 
that Warner Brothers apparently rejected in favor of an HBO Max release. I feel that was the wrong move considering how low profile HBO Max is in comparison. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. Yeah. Godzilla versus Kong. This is Godzilla versus Kong for a lot of the pandemic is a movie that kind of got shuffled away and relegated a little bit to you know, the fringes of discussions. Not a lot of people talked about Godzilla versus Kong over the past eight or nine months, but in the past little while, it seems like discussion about Godzilla versus Kong has kind of popped back up again as about, you know, okay, so when are we going to start to see trailers? What's going to happen with it? Especially in the context of we see, you know, Soul got moved straight to streaming. We've seen Wonder Woman 84 get moved straight to streaming. There's a lot of questions about uh, Black Widow and what's going to happen there and all that kind of stuff. So what's going to happen with Godzilla versus Kong? Well, yes, there was a report that came out and some people have misinterpreted this report talking about a little bit of a bidding war going on between Netflix and HBO Max. This is the story that we get from The Hollywood Reporter who writes, Godzilla vs. Kong, the forthcoming monster movie from Legendary Pictures, looks likely to be the latest big franchise movie to be headed to a streamer. Knowledgeable sources tell The Hollywood Reporter that Netflix has made an offer of more than $200 million for the film, while Warner Media has blocked the deal while preparing an offer of its own for the streamer, HBO Max. Legendary declined to comment while a Warner Brothers spokesperson said, and this is important, a Warner Brothers spokesperson said, we plan to release Godzilla vs. Kong theatrically next year, 2021, as scheduled. This is important. Let's read that last part again. A Warner Brothers spokesperson said, we plan to release Godzilla vs. Kong theatrically next year as scheduled. So, in the midst of all this discussion and talk about, you know, will it go to Netflix? Will it go to HBO Max? Warner Brothers right now, their official position at the moment is, that's great. You can talk about all this stuff. Our plans are to put Godzilla versus Kong in the theaters as planned. And we need to take that seriously. That is a Warner Brothers rep, an official source saying, we plan on putting this thing out theatrically. But you also have to take that official statement from the Warner Brothers rep with a grain of salt because it wasn't that long ago that a verified Warner Brothers executive also said, no, we're not planning. It's extremely unlikely that we'll put Wonder Woman 84 on a day and date release on streaming. It's very unlikely that we'll do that. Well, guess what? Fast forward a month and a half. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're putting Wonder Woman out on a day and date release on streaming. So we do need to take it seriously that a Warner Brothers rep is saying, nope, Godzilla's going to theaters. We do. But we also have to take with a grain of salt that maybe that's what they're thinking for now. Now, as far as the idea of would it be a good, better idea for Godzilla versus Kong to go to Netflix or would it be a better idea for Godzilla versus Kong to go to HBO Max? Well, clearly the better option is to go to HBO Max because this is ultimately, you know, Warner. It's a legendary produced film, but they are in association with HBO or sorry, with uh, Warner Brothers, which of course owns HBO. It'd be far more beneficial for them to get it on HBO Max if they can make the numbers work. 
What do I think is ultimately going to happen here with Godzilla versus Kong? Honestly, I think Godzilla versus Kong, I think it's in the tea leaves, man. I think Godzilla versus Kong is going to be on a streamer. And I have very little doubt. I don't know this. This is just what I believe. I have very little doubt that when it does go straight to streaming, it's going to be on HBO Max, not Netflix. Legendary just has that relationship with Warner Brothers. It's an important relationship. It's got a long history, that relationship. And all things being equal, they're going to go with HBO Max. There's a few moving pieces to that, but I have very, very little doubt. Again, I don't know this. I'm just what I believe. I have personally a very little doubt that we're going to hear pretty soon that Godzilla versus Kong is going to end up on HBO Max. Uh, HBO Max is starting to make a big push. They have seen... um, uh, the Jungle Jesus just sent in a, uh, a super chat uh, badge on the live chat. Thank you for that, Jungle Jesus. Appreciate that. Um, I think Warner Brothers has been very spooked. I think HBO Max has been very spooked, scared uh, by the fact that they've seen the numbers that Disney Plus has been acquiring. They've also seen Disney Plus and Disney as a whole company realigning their entire company to be all about streaming. We talked about that a lot over the past week and and the comments by Bob Chapek, the CEO over at Disney. And I think that's causing Warner Brothers to kind of refocus a little bit more energy and attention over onto the HBO Max side. Again, not what I know. It's just what I think. And it would make sense to me, especially when you consider the financial disappointment that Godzilla King of the Monsters was. Now, whether you love or were disappointed with that film. You know, Robert Meyer Burnett really loved that movie. I was really disappointed with it. But whether you loved or were disappointed with the film, there's no escaping the fact that it was financially not what they wanted it to be. We have seen this Godzilla-verse in a steep decline in box office. That could also make a Godzilla versus Kong a prime candidate to move as a premium piece of content onto HBO Max. So again, listen, a lot of different things could happen. Maybe Warner Brothers follows through and they actually do put it out theatrically first. I doubt it, but that is still very a strong possibility. Maybe Netflix comes back with like a Godfather-like offer they can't refuse. Maybe they come back with a $400 million offer, which would be ridiculous for them to do. But who knows? That's possible. I still think when you look at all the circumstances and when you look at everything, the way they're lining up, I think it honestly makes the most sense that they will most likely be putting this thing on HBO Max. That's my guess. We'll have to see again. There's a lot of variables in play. Question here for you guys is this. What do you think is going to happen with Godzilla versus Kong? And what would you like to see happen? Those are two different things. What will happen? What would you like to see happen? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, Let's go on to main topic number three. And there is no email for this one. This one is just we're going to make it main topic number three. We're going to talk, as we do every Friday, about the newest episode of The Mandalorian, in this case, known as the episode titled The Jedi. And now, of course, that title was released last week. Uh, which main meant we all knew that this was going to be the episode that Ahsoka Tano was going to make her appearance. And after the, you know, the events of the last two episodes, it's going to have given us kind of that little bit of a cliffhanger leading up to this moment. So watch the Mandalorian episode, The Jedi, yesterday. 
What did I think about it? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I really like the episode. Was it the best episode of Mandalorian? No, but it was really good. And I'll tell you what else. The Ahsoka Tano character, which everybody knows that I am not a fan of the Ahsoka Tano character. I mean, so there were there were episodes in Rebels where they used her quite well. Not always, but there were some that they did. But that, that's just me. That's a character that I don't care for. And so I've been a little skeptical about this episode. Alleviated a lot by the fact that they got the magnificent Rosario Dawson to play her. You guys know, the moment they announced Rosario Dawson was playing this character, I got quite excited. I'm like, okay. Okay, that's some brilliant casting right there. So what did I think of? Well, look, I'll tell you right now. I actually quite liked it, and I really liked her in it. But I'm going to let, – let's let's go on a little side trip here for a second. Let's do a little side trip here for a second. So I know that you guys know that I'm not a big fan of the Ahsoka Tano character. I know that you guys know that. And so this morning – I get up and I'm doing some work on today's show and I post the show at around 7.30, 7.45 a.m. this morning. I post the live event that starts at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the title of the episode was exactly what you see it is now, like uh, Mandalorian, the Jedi Review and Godzilla versus Kong move. That was the title I made the show. At about 7.30, 7.45 this morning. So about 15 minutes or so after I post the live event, I see one of the comments in the uh, in the comment section, in the live comment section, in the live comment stream pops up and says, Campia better not say he didn't like this episode or I'm unsubscribing. To which I went, huh, that sounds like a dare. So I decided shortly after posting the live event that I was going to change the title of the event. And I recorded myself uh, as I did it. And I put this little video up a couple. For those of you who have not seen this video that I put up a couple hours before this episode began, I saw that that comment saying, Kibby didn't like this episode. I'm going to unsubscribe. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a dare. And uh, so I did this and I posted it on my YouTube channel a little bit earlier. Okay, so uh, it's a few hours before the show starts today. It, what day is it today? It's Friday, November the 27th. So last night was the Mandalorian episode uh, with Ahsoka Tano in it. Now, I, I, I don't like the Ahsoka Tano character. Everybody who watches my show knows that. But I've been pretty excited about Rosario Dawson playing her, to be honest. But, um, you know, even your best friend has a habit that drives you crazy a little bit, or your brother or sister has a habit that drives you crazy a little bit. I really like Dave Filoni. Some people think I don't. I actually really do. I, I quite like Rebels. But the one habit he has that has always kind of driven me crazy, what he seems, he seems to be completely obsessed with Soka. Like, everything's got to be Soka-focused, and that kind of drives me nuts, but whatever. So I watched the Mandalorian episode last night, and I really liked it. And I really liked the Ahsoka Tano character in it, to, to be honest. So I'm going to talk about that during the show today. But everybody expects that I'm not going to like it because it's Ahsoka. And I understand why, because I've traditionally said I don't like the character. So I decided to have a little fun for myself today. And I made the title of today's episode, and I'm going to change it, but I made the title of today's episode, um, well, How Ahsoka Tano Ruined the Mandalorian with Her Suckiness. <laughs> 
even though I, and even though I actually quite like the episode and I like to soak it in it, but I just want to see. And so the, and you can see it's still like uh, a couple hours before the show starts. And let me see if I can get this in here. The chat board. <laughs> The chatboard is like, John, what are you doing? Why didn't you like it? And everybody's freaking out. Ah, uh, just having some fun today. I just can't wait for the show to start. So, yeah, that was me this morning having some fun. I just thought and I just sat back and I know a lot of people were really pissed. And I just sat in my chair and I laughed for like an hour and a half. And I said, OK, I had enough fun. I put it back to the regular title. All right. With that said, Let's actually talk about the episode here. So this episode, and I'm not going to go into specific plot details, okay? I'm not going to go into specific plot uh, spoilers. I will talk about some general broad scoping things like I would any other movie I'd be reviewing, but I'm not going to get into specific story points or specific big reveals. Anne and I, my wife Anne and I, will be doing our weekly uh, Mandalorian spoiler discussion review today at four o'clock. So today at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, come on back. Ann and I will do like a full hour or more of just open, full spoiler discussion about today's episode of The Mandalorian. But I'm going to talk about some generalities here, okay? So let's start with this. When they announced that this week's episode was going to be The Jedi, we knew this was the episode that was going to have the Ahsoka Tano character. And, of course, if the Ahsoka Tano character is going to be in it, you know that Dave Filoni will absolutely have to direct it. Hell, I criticize Dave Filoni because I think he's a little bit too obsessed with this character. But even I said for weeks, it would be a total missed opportunity if you don't have Dave Filoni directing the episode of Ahsoka Tano. You have to have Dave Filoni direct that episode. Now, look, I said that last season, probably the two worst episodes of Mandalorian, and I love Mandalorian season one, but probably the two least great episodes of Mandalorian in season one were the ones that Dave Filoni directed. And Dave Filoni has an amazing attitude. If you watch the behind the scenes documentary on Disney Plus about the making of Mandalorian season one, Dave Filoni, as a Hollywood director, said one of the most impressive things, honestly, one of the most impressive things ever when he's on set for the first time, getting ready for the first time in his life to direct live action. And he's got a camera in his face and he looks at the camera and goes, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I've never done this before. I have no idea how to direct live action. Thank God I've got John Favreau here to mentor, mentor me. And I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, that's impressive. That's impressive because a guy who has as much natural talent as a Dave Filoni does, who approaches this with the attitude of, I know nothing, I'm here to learn. That kind of guy has no limit to his potential. And I've been saying for weeks, for you guys who watch my show, you know I've been saying for weeks, you watch Dave Filoni's next couple of things that he directs live action are going to be exponentially better than the other ones because the other ones was his first time out of the gate. He's now done it. He has learned a bunch. He still has a lot more to learn. But I said for weeks, you watch his work is going to get exponentially better because now he's got a little bit of experience under his belt. He's got the perfect attitude. You watch. And I think this episode, while not perfect, I thought this episode 
showed a live action directing Dave Filoni personally that I think were leaps and bounds beyond the Dave Filoni we saw directing for the first time ever in his life directing live action. I think this Dave Filoni was leaps and bounds ahead of that one. The issue, the, 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 the episode still had issues. I won't get into the specifics of those issues. We will in the spoiler discussion. I still did think this episode had some issues, but let's talk about the main event. Let's talk about Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Piggybacking on some of the concerns I had going into the episode, Dave Filoni has a history of making Ahsoka Tano the centerpiece and most important thing in everything. He turned Clone Wars into the Ahsoka Tano show. He then was doing Rebels, had to bring her into there and had to have her be the one to have a big fight with Vader at the end. And now we come into Mandalorians, got to have Ahsoka Tano come in. So I was worried, unfoundedly, and as it turns out, needlessly. I was worried that Dave Filoni was going to, oh, bring Ahsoka in and make her like the big shiny diamond and everything's about her. And you know what? Dave Filoni didn't do that. Dave Filoni didn't do that, which is another sign to me about his maturation as a director. Because he made the Ahsoka character just like the way they used Cobb the Marshal in episode one, just like the way they used Bo-Katan. I believe it was episode three that they used Bo-Katan, just like they've used all these characters this season. He didn't make her any more and any or any less important than any of those characters. Didn't make her any more or any less important than any of those characters. She communicated some very important information in the in the episode. She did. She communicated some very important information in the episode. But at the end of the day, Dave Filoni went, you know what? I'm not going to give this character special treatment. This is the Mandalorian show. She's going to play a role and a function in this episode, just like Cobb did, just like Bo-Katan did. And I'm not going to give her any more special attention other than that, even though it's his favorite little character. And by the time this episode ended, and, and you know what? That made the episode better. That made the episode better. And I sat back and went, holy shit, Dave Filoni, man. Well done. Well, not only did he direct a really good episode, I, it seems like he's he reeled back a little bit that over-enthusiastic favoritism he has for this one particular character. And because he did that, the character was really able to shine. That's the irony in this for me. Is that Dave Filoni not heaping all the attention on the Ahsoka Tano character to me actually made the Ahsoka Tano character better. And it probably had a little something to do with Rosario Dawson's uh, interpretation and portrayal of the character. That probably had a little something to do with it. You got to say that probably had a little something to do with it. But still, I was very impressed. They start off again. I'm not going to go into details, but the episode starts off with a bang. Episode starts off with a huge crowd-pleasing bang. And then they go through it. They explain some things. They do some things. Whatever. Very, very good job. I will say this, though. You guys know how I've been saying that this whole season has been about the journey is the story. Every single episode this season has been the same basic structure. Mando needs something from a place. 
he meets somebody who can provide him with what he needs, whether it's an object, whether it's directions, whether it's information, whatever. Mando goes to a place. He meets somebody that has something that he needs. Before he can get what he needs from that person, he first needs to do something for them first. He does that thing for them or with them, and then he gets he sort of gets what he needs. Either it's the next step in his journey or the next piece of information or the next direction he gets from them by the end of the episode. This episode is exactly the same, and I love it. I love that Filoni um, took this episode to do what he did and showed his maturation as a director. I love that Favreau has made every episode this season follow that structure, emphasizing that it's the Mandalorian's journey. It's Din's journey that is the important story. It's not where does Baby Yoda end up. It's the journey that's the story. And I thought it was played out really, really well. I thought the villain of the week was, was really good. I thought it was a really interesting little villain of the week. Not a lot of time or attention paid to her, but still it was a good villain of the week. And it ends up with, you know, Mando going off into the next part of his journey. Fabulous. And now I'm going to look forward to next week. So again, Ann and I will go into more specifics. I will say this though. We all knew that Michael Bean was going to be appearing uh, in Mandalorian this season. And I got to say, I got a huge, because yeah, I, you got to understand, I love Michael Bean. Michael Bean is an actor who I believe should have been, like if you go back 25 years, Michael Bean should have been an actor who was up there with the names of Brad Pitt, George Clooney. He should have been a big time A-list movie star because he's great. I've always been a fan of Michael Bean. And I've never really understood why he was never able to crack that and be that elite of the elite of the elite. Because I think he's got all the gifts. I think he's got the charm. I think he's got the movie star looks. I think he's got the talent. So anyway, just seeing Michael Bean pop up on screen. And again, I won't go into the details of his character here. Ann and I will talk more about that a little bit later. But that the moment he popped up on screen, I was just grinning like an idiot. I'm sitting on the chair. We, we got my mother-in-law was over here for Thanksgiving and Ann was here and Ray was here. And I'm just sitting on the couch. I like seeing Michael Bean on screen. I just thought it was fabulous and fantastic. So listen, do I think it's the best episode of Mandalorian? No, but it was really, really good. And it was enjoyable and it was fun. And considering that the guest appearance of the week was a character that I generally don't like. And I ended up quite liking the character and the way they handled it and continue you know, count me as being continuously impressed by the evolution of Dave Filoni from those first episodes he directed in episode one to him demonstrating a perfect attitude for a director to have now seeing him direct the next thing. And he just see that maturation and, and him being able to express that inner talent. I gotta say, man, I was, I walked away. I don't know about you guys, but I walked away from that episode really happy. I got to say, I walked away from that episode really happy. And maybe we'll be looking at a Cobb spinoff series or a Bo-Katan spinoff series or an Ahsoka Tano spinoff series. Maybe all these characters are just brought in so they can all kind of gang up together at the end of the season. I mean, who knows where things are going to go? All I know is that the journey is the story. And this step in the journey, I thought was really quite good. I thought was really quite good. You know, it's always great. As a, as a, a storytelling fan, when a movie or TV show meets those expectations that you have, but it's extra special 
when a movie or TV show exceeds your expectations, especially if you had a little bit of pessimism going into it, as I did. And uh, listen, I'll, hey, listen. And the next time they use Ahsoka Tano and she bothers me, I'll tell you she sucks. But I got to call it like I see it. They did a really good job with her this episode, and I loved watching her. So, hey, it is what it is. Don't forget, guys, once again, 4 o'clock today, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Ann and I will be doing our open spoiler discussion of this week's episode. And by the way, how about that name drop? Oh, my God. How about that name drop? I'm going to tell you something else. You guys know I was I knew a lot of the information about this season of The Mandalorian. You guys know that. I've communicated some of it. Everything I was told and everything I told you was going to happen this season has happened. But I had no idea. Even I, who had some like really good insider information from, from people connected to the show, even I had no idea that that name drop was coming. I had no idea that name drop was coming. And so the name drop happened. I'm like, my smile just from, from how good the episode was and seeing Michael Bean went from this to... Like I just about freaked out, but again, Ann and I will talk about that at four o'clock later today. Question is for you guys. What did you think about this episode of the Mandalorian Mandalorian, the Jedi? Was it as good as you were hoping? You know, I read some people saying, uh, I read some comments online from people. Remember, there's a lot of people who watch Mandalorian that this is kind of like their introduction to Star Wars. A lot Because of baby Yoda, a lot of people started watching the Mandalorian as their first Star Wars thing. I've read some comments today from people who have never watched you know, the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything like that. And they were like, this episode wasn't all that good. And I, I get it. Maybe if you knew nothing about it, maybe there was nothing exceptional about what happened in this particular episode. I saw the same kind of criticism for the Bo-Katan episode, too. It's like, OK, a couple other Mandalorians show up. What's the big deal? Because they didn't know what happens in Rebels or in whatever, like with the Bo-Katan character. So it left them a little bit shallow. I can see how that would happen. I get that. But... Hey, a lot of us who watch Mandalorian are Star Wars fans, and so we get what we get out of it. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. Uh, and by the way, uh, Leonardo Urea just sends in a super chat badge on the live chat. Thank you so much for that, uh, Leandro. I appreciate that very much. All right, guys, listen, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. You guys have been firing in a bunch of them already. Once again, if you want to fire one in, just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. If your question is reasonable, it'll get read on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us here on the channel, thank you guys for that. Okay, let's jump on over and start getting to it. We're going to start things off here with AJ Taylor, who writes, Happy Thanksgiving, John. Uh, as a Brian De Palma fan, my favorite films have always been Scarface and The Untouchables with Carlito's Way, a close third. What is your personal favorite film from his filmography? Love your documentary, by the way. Thank you so much, AJ. Thanks for getting the documentary. I appreciate that, man. All right, Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma is this iconic name um, who unfortunately has also done some big crap, but every director has a few bad days at the office. Femme fatale, anybody? Look, although he has done some massive, massive films like Scarface, um, I like Mission to Mars. Not everybody likes Mission to Mars. I like Mission to Mars. Everybody's going to say Scarface, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to go Untouchables. We talked a little bit about Untouchables after Sean Connery passed away, but I personally really liked Untouchables. 
I liked it a lot. And I, I, again, I know that's not the popular answer. I know that, but that is just a special film to me. Leave it to a wop to bring a knife to a gunfight. Anyway, I, I just, I think it's brilliant and I think it's underrated and I'm going to go with untouchables uh, being my favorite. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, saw rust and bone and I was floored by how powerful this movie was, especially the last 10 minutes. That was like a two. That's an older film. Isn't that like 2012 or something like that? Anyway, uh, I saw rust and bone and I was floored by how powerful this movie was, especially the last 10 minutes. Marion Cotillard uh, was phenomenal. And the matter of uh, uh, factly way her disability is presented, especially the sex scenes is perfect. Of course, her uh, she's a character. There's a character who gets, you know, injured and suffers this tragic injury during the movie. At any rate, um, Marion Cotillard. It, it look, it, it feels like she has never had the true breakthrough that her talent is justified to get. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. It's not as extreme as the Michael Bean situation. But I feel like Marion Cotillard has never gotten that recognition that she deserves or or the opportunity to really showcase this. Although she's been given some big movies, but for whatever reason, I don't know. She just doesn't get the credit she's due, anonymous viewer. All right, next up, uh, PX75 writes, one of the writers... IIRC, I can't know what that means, said that Scarlet Witch was so powerful in Endgame that she almost killed Thanos single-handedly because at that moment she was full of rage due to Vision's death, which for her happened just five minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I, I mean, we all kind of knew that. We all kind of saw that. Listen, one of the most chilling moments of Avengers Endgame to me, um, one of the most bone-chilling spine shivering lines ever spoken in the MCU was never spoken by one of the villains. To me, it's that line, the way Elizabeth Olsen says it in Avengers Endgame, when she starts to approach Thanos and she says to him first, you took everything from me. And Thanos is just like, lady, I don't even know who you are. Here's the line that sends chills up my spine every time I watch it. It is the casual, almost fatalistic way she says, after he says, I don't even know who you are. And she says, you will. I get shivers thinking about that. The way, first of all, just the line itself. She's facing off against the mad titan, Thanos. And just the pure confidence and almost the swagger in her voice. You will. But there's also, again, there's there's that fatalistic overtones to it. Like, you're dead. It's, it's, like, it's like she's saying to Thanos, you're done. Oh, what I'm going to do to you. That, like that's It's all implied in the way Elizabeth Olsen says, you will. You will. And it sends shivers down my spine. Now, ultimately, she gets beaten but still, that line, that way, and of course, coming off of, you know, the amount of rage, you took every, it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous, fa and you know what? It's not fan service either. There's a lot of stuff in the ending of Endgame that is pure fan service, used to very good effect. That's not a bad thing, but there's a lot of very obvious fan service in that last part of Endgame, but that highlight 
was not fan service. That was just good writing and a great character moment that w- that is delivered by a fabulous performance in that one moment. Mm. It's just when it all comes together like that, it creates a memorable moment on screen that it's it's absolutely one of the biggest highlights for me of Avengers Endgame is that line. Anyway. All right. Thomas H.H. writes. Uh, hey, John, I just bought your film. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, going to watch it tomorrow. I didn't rent it because I surely want to watch it more than just one time. Greetings from Germany. Well, thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate that very much. And, you know, it. I was overwhelmed when we saw the the analytics after day one of launching the movie. I I mean, I, I, I had to get on the phone and call Robert. I'm like, I oh, like it. I was just so floored. So thank you to everybody who who went out and got it and for all of you who will go out and get it and for your support. And I hope you enjoyed the film. And uh, thank you so much for that, Thomas. I really appreciate that. All right. Mike Thompson writes. So whatever happened to that Barney movie uh, that was supposed to surprise audiences and subvert expectations. Also, happy Thanksgiving. And the documentary was fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, listen. A lot of people, understandably, lately have been asking, hey, whatever happened to this movie or that movie or whatever? We got to remember, even though we're all getting tired of talking about it, there's been a global pandemic. And I think a lot of things have just been put on pause. So as far as I know, uh, they are still moving ahead with this. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing the producers still talking about it like a month or so ago. They were they were saying some things about it. it they're still planning on doing this movie. It's still one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. This Barney movie will subvert expectations. Really? Is Barney going to have like a purple boner and doing an orgy? I mean, I like, I don't, what, what, what the hell do you do to sub- subvert expectations from a Barney the dinosaur movie? I don't know what they have in mind. Maybe it'll be something great, but don't be too concerned about the fact that we haven't heard a lot lately. There's been a global pandemic. A lot of things have been put on pause and it'll get going again. It'll get going again. I, because I'm morbidly curious to see what subverting expectations means. I mean, we don't know. All right. Terrence F writes, um, bought your movie and really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Terrence. Uh, favorite scene is the priest reacting to star Wars trailer. It's golden. So I'm considering taking the dove Simmons class dove SS Simmons, uh, class online. How much of the training did you apply to your movie? Would you say it's worth it? Um, so wh- for those, of you who don't know what Terrence is talking about. There's a guy. Let me see if I can, if I can find this and bring it up. Uh, dove SS so Dove S.S. Simmons has a, a film training class. Let me, let me bring it up here. Now, I went and took his two-day film school in person because I heard Quentin Tarantino talking about it. And Quentin Tarantino talked about this Dove S.S. Simmons two-day film school. And so like eight years ago, I think it might have been, I went in person and took this weekend-long two-day film class. Uh, from him. And it was really quite good. I, it was really enjoyable. Now, most of the class focused around uh, narrative movie making, right? Not so much documentary filmmaking. So there weren't any specific technical things that I took away that helped me in that. But it was the thing that that class did for me was it demystified a lot of what filmmaking is. You guys have heard me say this before. This is from Dove S.S. Simmons. One of the things he said at the very beginning of the, the two-day class was, listen, people ask me, how do you make a movie? I say, it's easy. You take a camera, 
point it at a couple of friends, hit record, and yell action. Two hours later, yell cut and hit stop on the camera. You've made a movie. And it was just the way he said that, that really did. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what it is. Point your camera at some people, hit record, say action, and then say stop. And it was that demystifying of the process of making a movie that has really stuck with me uh, for any project, whether it's a movie project or whether it's a, a web project or a YouTube project, whatever. It's that type of demystification. So, But I certainly did glean a lot of interesting stuff from that class, and I would recommend it. I do. I, I had a good time with it, so I would recommend it personally. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Terrence. All right. Next up. Uh, the Pirate Mandalorian writes, hey, John, so I finally did it. I watched The Mandalorian legally or illegally, illegally. I'm not proud of it. I feel dirty afterwards, but I was left with no choice. I'm sorry, Disney. Please bring Disney Plus here to the Philippines. Happy Thanksgiving. And listen, uh, look, I am 100% against piracy. Piracy has hurt people that I know in my like has really hurt people that I know. I'm against it, but we've known since last year when the first season of Mandalorian was coming out and it was being released on Disney Plus and there were still so many countries that didn't have Disney Plus and Disney was not licensing Mandalorian to play on networks that did exist in those countries. It left a lot of fans who were like, I have money. I want to watch Mandalorian. I am willing to pay for it. And you're letting all these other people around the world watch it. And you are literally giving me somebody like you, Pirate Mandalorian, living in the Philippines. You are literally giving me no way to watch it. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here listening to everybody else around the world talking about Mandalorian, how great it is, seeing commercials that you're putting out online and all this promotion and celebration and seeing it being nominated for Emmys. And meanwhile, you're not even giving us an option to watch it. Again, I am 100% against piracy, but I don't know how you can sit in judgment of anybody who was in a situation like Pirate Mandalorian was and judge him for it. Because, like, they didn't really give you any other options. I mean, I it's – yeah, I get it. No judgment for me, Pirate Mandalorian. No, you held out. You held out a long time, man. You held out a long time. All right. Uh, Whaleman K writes – who sends in $20. Thank you, Wellman, for supporting the channel on that level, man. We really appreciate that around here. Wellman writes, been a long time watcher. Thank you for that. Uh, just bought your documentary. Excited to watch it. Thank you very much, man. I also wanted to say you and Rob reignited my love for movies. I used to do uh, film and video work years ago, but got burnt out. But now I want to write a new script and get a film going. Dude, that is awesome. You know what? It's always great when you can hang around a community of like-minded people and that re-sparks or reinvigorates your passion for something, right? So it is awesome that you get to hang around in film fan communities that Rob and I get to be a part of as well and have that passion for it reignited. That's always an exciting thing. So listen, man, thank you so much for getting my documentary. Thank you for being here and being a part of our community. And thank you for helping to reignite somebody else's passion for things, sharing your own story. So I appreciate that, William, very, very much. And uh, and thank you again, man. All right, next what? Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, over under 50%, we see Goose the Cat on the Nick Fury show. Ooh, I'm going to go over. 
I mean, I won't say 80% or 90%, but that's, I haven't even thought about that. That's really intriguing. Yeah. Okay. So I'll stick with that over 50%. So I, I think it's more than possible. I think it's likely, but I won't go as high as like 80 or 90%. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, for sure he will. But I love that idea and I think they will. So I'm going to take the over 50% on that. Uh, Superman Steve writes, John, I honestly can't believe how unbelievably epic the documentary was. I literally loved every single second of it. Oh man, thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. I, again, it's so awesome for me and humbling for me. I mean, just to see how many people in our community trusted me to go and invest their time and a little bit of their money to go and watch this documentary. So thank you for that, Superman, Steve. I really, really appreciate that, dude. All right. Steve Pintor writes, Hey, John, I watched your movie this Thanksgiving morning. I must say that I love it. My my favorite part was chapter 10. I hope that one day we can meet again. We met at Burbank AMC watching Toy Story, so I can congratulate you. Hope to see more in the future. Again, thank you so much. And dude, it's amazing. I really miss going to the AMC Burbank 16. One of the things I loved about going to the AMC Burbank 16, I don't know, a lot of film fans who watch this show go to that movie theater. And so it would always be so amazing whenever, whenever Ann and I would go to that theater, always having, you know, five, six, seven, eight people come up and introduce themselves and say they're a part of the film fan community, just like us. And that's always been so great. And I can't wait to be able to go back and do that again, if we ever get the chance to again. And let's see if thanks. And I love chapter 10 as well. I love chapter 10 as well. So this man, thank you so much for checking out the movie and thank you for the kind words. And hopefully we'll get to bump into each other again at the AMC Burbank 16 sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, next up, um, where are we at? We're at the stock, the sock rights. So I decided that first movie I'm going to watch on my new TV is going to be your documentary, particularly because I've been excited about it. I would have watched something by now, but I had I had to troubleshoot some audio problems after installing my Apple TV. Really? See that that's well, first of all, thank you for giving my movie the honor of being the first one you'll watch on your new TV. I don't have an Apple TV myself. I used to years ago. Um, when I, when I had my Roku, I started experimenting with other streaming devices. And the thing about Apple devices is they normally just work. And I remember my experience with an older model of an Apple TV was it just worked. You plugged it in and you were just launching apps and everything right away. So that's kind of weird that you had that experience. Anyway, it sounds like you got your audio issues worked out. I'm glad you did. And I hope you enjoy your new TV, man. And I, and I hope you enjoy my documentary. Thanks for that, The Sock. All right. Christopher Chow writes, sends in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. Um, uh, John, my wife and I love the documentary. Been watching you for over a year now. Happy for your accomplishment. Where can we watch your movie, The Anniversary, on Vimeo? Currently, my movie, The Anniversary, isn't available. Uh, I made it available to my Patreon supporters just because, I don't know, my, my Patreon supporters are an amazing bunch. Uh, they really are. They have been supporting me for years. And you know what? I don't talk much about, you know, a lot of people who have Patreon um, campaigns, they will mention it every video. Like they'll say, hey, guys, I have a Patreon campaign. Make sure you go. And th they should. They absolutely should. There's nothing wrong with that. They absolutely. You have a Patreon campaign. You should promote it. Um, I don't actually do that a lot. I, I really don't promote the campaign a lot. Maybe it's just because I've just 
no, I've got such an amazing core group of Patreon supporters that I've never really felt the need to, to advertise it, but I really should. I mean, look, right. I mean, I've got, I've got this Patreon campaign. I probably should be promoting it every episode that I do, but I don't, but I do have this amazing. So, you know, one day I think I was doing a, a, a Patreon campaign or a Patreon supporters only live chat this one time. And a couple of them brought up, Hey, you, you know, you should make your movie, the anniversary available for us, your Patreon supporters. And I didn't want to, but I'm like, you know what? You're right. You guys deserve it. Um, or to be subjected to it, depending on your point of view. So I made it available. So right now there is no public way to watch it. Listen, my movie, the anniversary was the very first thing I ever tried making having no idea what I was doing and basically no budget. And by Hollywood filmmaking standards, it is awful. It's awful. But I'm very proud of it nonetheless. It was the first movie I ever made, and I'm very proud of how I, only I know all the things I had to do to get that thing done. And the fact that I got it done and I made it, I am very proud of it, even if it's awful. <laughs> so, yeah, no, there's no public way for you to see it, but I did make it available to my Patreon supporters. All right, next up, uh, Matt Valdez writes, uh, just want to say that I'm thankful for your show. I lost my dad, grandfather, and dog whilst trying to get through college and 2020s just have been rough. Watching movies and listening to you talk about them has been a great escapism. Also, congrats on your documentary. Matt, I, first of all, I, that's a lot. Your dad, your grandfather, a family pet who, who, who really, they become family as a dog owner. I know this, uh, in a short window of time, that's, I mean, that's awful. That's terrible. But listen, I am always so grateful myself personally all the time that the fan community exists to give us that oasis. And I, I celebrate the fact that you're able to also partake in that and to have it be that oasis for you when you need it. And and I do. It's always there for me when I need it as well. So, hey, listen, man, I hope your college is going great. Um, here's hoping for a better 2021 than the crap fest that has been 2020. And thanks for being here and part of this. And thanks for sharing your story, man, because I'm sure there are other people who are going through some crap right now. And it's always good to hear other people are too. And it just makes you feel not so alone in it. So thanks for that, Matt. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, Matt also writes, um, I've actually sent it in twice. So thank you for that <laughs> twice, Matt. All right. Christopher Chow writes, hey, John, also for got to add my favorite recent trailer is seeing han solo come back and say chewy we're home in the second force awakers trailer thoughts oh i mean like yeah that was that moment in that force awakens trailer when you see harrison ford as han first of all just seeing harrison ford as han solo but seeing him with chewy on the millennium falcon saying chewy we're home i mean what I mean, I, I'm getting goosebumps. Look at that. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Let's see if I can get the focus on my arm. There you go. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. Um, and can I just say the autofocus on the Sony A6400 is spectacular? Can I just say that? Anyway, uh, yeah, that is a chilling in an awesome way moment in trailer history. Absolutely. That moment is absolutely fantastic. All right. Pressing the Kryptonian. Uh, tips in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. We really appreciate that. John, I just watched your documentary. Very educational and clever. It adds value to movie trailers in general. Thank you for bringing us such a wonderful piece of art. Hey, man, thank you so much for the kind words. You know what? It's man, I'll tell you what. 
whenever you do something that is remotely creative or attempt at doing something remotely creative, the moment you put it out for people to see, your stomach goes into knots because you don't know how people are going to respond to it until you do. And you put so much of your heart and soul into it. And you know, like I get on the John Campus show. Oh, boo hoo. You don't like that. I don't like Masoka Tano. Oh, look at me crying myself to sleep. Nah, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I'm going to give you my honest opinions. And if you agree, great. If you don't agree, great. That's what gives makes it fun to be a film fan. If you're bothered by the fact that I don't happen to like a movie that you like, or if you're bothered by the fact that I happen to like a character that you don't like, that doesn't bother me at all. But when you're putting out something that you poured your heart and soul into, and it's a sort of a creative endeavor, you feel very fragile. You feel very fragile. And I remember with my my finger hovering over the publish button on Amazon when it, when Amazon was like, okay, your your movie has been cleared, it's been uh, quality controlled, reviewed, it's ready to go. Do you want to publish? And I'm like hovering the mouse over that publish button and feeling so fragile and queasy, and then hitting it. So. It, it's, it seriously means the world to me. And obviously, look, my movie, like any other movie, is subjective. So there are going to be people who like it, and there are going to be people who don't like it. And I accept that. That's 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 part of being a movie fan. There are going to be people who just don't like my movie. And that's that's fine. I can live with that. But you still that you still feel a little bit fragile. So hearing these kinds of words, seriously, Preston, uh, it, it's, uh, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that, dude. All right. Next up, uh, Chris Hunt writes couple of good Canadian kids from the band Alex, Alex, Alexis on Fire have been popping up in movies and TV. Guitarist Wade uh, McNeil wrote the score for J, uh, Jay Burchell's Random Acts of Violence. Really? And vocalist George uh, Pettit was in an episode of The Boys last season. I never look. I, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm clearly familiar with Alexis on Fire. I don't really know a lot about them. I don't follow them per se. So I would have no idea who that is. But I do find that to be a really cool piece of trivia that this good Canadian kid made an appearance in the boys. Just like I like seeing uh, Paul Lee from uh, Kim's convenience, Mr. Kim show up in Mandalorian. That excites me seeing good Canadian kids getting those sorts of breaks. Thanks for that little piece of uh, trivia, Chris. All right. Chris also writes, also, I know November's almost over, but I never saw anyone mention Peacock's spooky Halloween event that was called Peacocktober. <laughs> Are you being serious? Is that a joke? Is that a joke? Peacocktober? Peacocktober. Okay. I didn't know they did that. I find that a little bit hilarious. Anyway, thanks for the kind words, Chris. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, can you imagine how hard the Warner Brothers execs are currently pay, uh, praying Mads Mikkelsen doesn't turn out to be some sort of horrible sex criminal? <laughs> yeah. Whew. It, it's It's been a bad couple of days for 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 Johnny Depp cuz not only did he lose his court case in the UK and not only did the judge say that the allegations against Johnny Depp have been proven true by the evidence that's not good well now to compound that his appeal got rejected <laughs> and on top of all that he has to pay nearly a million dollars in 
the newspaper he had taken to court, he's just been ordered to pay nearly a million dollars to pay their legal fees. So Johnny Depp took this newspaper to court, hoping to win some kind of libel case. He lost the case, got told by the judge that they think he's guilty of everything he's been accused of because of the evidence. His appeal gets rejected and he's been ordered to pay nearly a million dollars of the other side's legal fees. And then they make it official that Mads Mikkelsen uh, is indeed taking over as Grindelwald, which is, listen, regardless of whether you think Johnny Depp should have or should not have been replaced, regardless, if he has to be replaced, Mads Mikkelsen's a pretty good choice. I mean, I think everybody can agree on that much, right? Like, regardless of whether you feel whether Johnny Depp absolutely should not have been removed or he absolutely should have been removed, regardless of any of that, if he is gone and it's done and they got to replace him with somebody, Mads Mikkelsen's a pretty good choice. He's a pretty good choice. I'm still very, very fascinated to see what's going to happen in the Americas. Remember, in 2021, he's going to launch. He's going to do another lawsuit unless he withdraws it. I suspect he might withdraw the second lawsuit after what happened in the first. But there is a pending second lawsuit he's doing in the U.S. And I'm going to be very curious to see what happens there. Because if he wins that case, that makes it a very fascinating situation. It doesn't look like he'll win that case. But if he did, that's I mean, that creates a lot to talk about. But anyway, we'll get. But yes, for those of you who didn't hear, it is now official. While they were in talks with Mads Mikkelsen to be the new Grindelwald, it is now official. He is now the new Grindelwald. Uh, and you're right. They're probably praying they don't dig up some awful dirt on him. All right. Andy Hong writes, one of two. I was getting prepared to watch a brand new episode of Supernatural tonight until I realized that the show is already ended a week ago. Then I got reminded about the emotional ending and I was left in my room all night with nothing but a lot of feelings. By the way, Supernatural and The Undertaker ended their tenure with a span of four days within a span of four days of each other. It's really hard to believe that both these paranormal phenomena are done. RIP to both and everything they have done for their fans and their entertainment. Yeah, again, listen, I've talked a lot about Supernatural supernatural the last couple of weeks of course a show that's been running for 15 seasons a show i really enjoy uh that has run for 15 seasons came to its conclusion and i thought a very good conclusion the final two episodes were really good i thought and undertaker i mean they did his official retirement ceremony but he retired months ago i mean he he retired months ago really but yeah undertaker's crazy i mean he's he has literally been doing that since I was in high school. The Undertaker was professional wrestling with Paul Bearer. Oh, yes. Coming out with Paul Bearer when I was in high school. That's how long Undertaker's been doing it. And it's crazy. By the way, um, if you guys get a chance to watch the, the documentary series Undertaker The Last Ride that really documents the last couple of years leading up to the retirement of uh, this dude who plays this character, The Undertaker. It's fascinating. And you don't even have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy it. If you get a chance to check it out, you totally should. All right, next up, Anonymous Viewer writes, Hey, John, uh, if there is a little if there is a little interest in premium video on demand in the USA, it's zero outside of the USA. Universal will discover soon that the only the only one benefit from the short window is the is the piracy. And they know the real money is in cinemas once they get back to full capacity. Hey, listen, man, I hope you're right. I completely hope you're right, because you guys know my heart is in the movie theater. 
that is where true movie fans are in their euphoria is in a movie. That's the, you know, if, if David Attenborough was doing a wilderness documentary about movie fans, that's when he say, now we see the movie fan in their natural environment, and, you know, would be in the, that's our natural environment is to be there. And I, I hope you're right. Anonymous. I hope you're right. Uh, Anonymous also writes, Everyone talking about a Wonder Woman 84 lately, but another big movie coming on the 25th, which is Soul. I don't think Disney are happy with Warner Brothers' decision to release uh, Wonder Woman at the same time. What are the chances of Disney dropping Soul earlier than the 25th? I honestly don't think Disney cares at all. Disney doesn't care at all. You got to remember, it's not like the old days when... The Cosby Show and The Simpsons were on at the same time, and there were no DVRs, and you had to make a choice. I can either watch uh, The Cosby Show. This is going back a ways. I was in grade school, but when The Cosby Show or Simpsons, and you got to choose one or the other because you can't watch them both. So you got to choose which one am I going to watch. That's not the way it is today. Today, they just put it up and like, okay, so I can watch Soul and then, you know, I will finish watching Soul, go grab something to eat, come back, watch Wonder Woman 84. There, done, right? So I really don't think Disney cares. Besides, Christmas Day, as weird it is for me as a Canadian to wrap my head around this, but Christmas Day in the United States is the number one movie going day of the year. More people go to the movies on Christmas Day than any other day of the year. That's a crazy... Canadians don't do that. So that's a real crazy number to me. But understanding that, lots of movies have always opened up over the Christmas holiday. And um, it, it's really... It doesn't affect anything. It really doesn't. I'm going to be able to watch both on the same day. And if not, I'll watch Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas Day and I'll watch Soul the next day. I mean, either way, they're both there. I don't have to pick. So it's all good. It's all good. All right. Uh, next up, we have James L.H. who writes, Hey, John, I bought your movie. Thank you so much, man. I have watched many documentaries, especially on movies. This is up there with the better ones I have seen. Great job. Each chapter was fascinating. And John, oh, I remember long wait times using QuickTime to download a trailer. There's a little part in the documentary, for those of you who've seen it, where we talk about, I'm not going to spoil anything, but where we talk about the lengths you used to have to go to to watch a movie trailer. It used to be a big effort if you wanted to watch a movie trailer. And we touch on that a little bit. So you and me, James, we both remember that very well. And uh, thank you so much for your kind words, man. And thank you a lot for checking out the movie. All right, next up, Tom Gillard writes, Hey, John, I enjoyed your documentary. Thank you so much, man. Uh, you mentioned having a lawyer to help you with applying fair use. I'm wondering if you could give a couple of examples as to what your lawyer made you change and why. Okay, sure. Here's an example. So, you know, a lot of people wonder, how do you use copywritten material like movie trailers in your movie? There's a doctrine in law called fair use. A lot of people misunderstand fair use. I would highly encourage you to go and do some real reading on what fair use means. Because some people think, oh, I, as long as I'm not making money, I, that means I can use it. No, 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 no. That's not what it means at all. Not at all. But uh, one example of it was, you know, I was using this one trailer clip as an illustration of a particular point that we were making in the documentary. 
and I can't give, I don't want to give things away. So I don't want to give into a specific example, but it was one of the things that the lawyer came back to me and said, okay, yes, you are talking about this general principle, but you weren't talking specifically about that movie using that principle. You could have used any one of hundreds of trailer clips. Why did you need to use that one? So you need to make sure you're finding things where it really does fall into. It's very specific that this is one of the few or the best example of this principle that is being discussed in the documentary. And so there was a lot of those types of changes that we had to make. And, and you know, this is coming from somebody with a law background and I understand fair use and we had hundreds of items and there was a lot of them that my lawyer had to come back to me and say, okay, you got to work on this one, this one, and this one. And that's one of the, the common ones that we ran into. Anyway, I hope you find that useful, man. Okay, next up. Uh, and thanks for the kind words, uh, Tom. Uh, Kevin Lewis writes, John, you say you're not into biopics featuring musicians and bands because uh, the usual tropes that progress through the movie. True. But I enjoy them for that. Uh, plus, I get a history lesson as I immerse myself into the decade and political uh, political so social structures they are involved in. Yeah, listen, it's I am not as interested in biopics about musicians because, frankly, I'm more interested in biopics about people who actually did things that are really important. I would rather see a biopic on a guy who came up with a way to fix somebody's broken spine and made it possible for human beings to walk after a certain accident that never would have been able to walk again. I'm more interested in a documentary about a guy you know, somebody who founded the Feeding America program that that meets the needs and feeds hungry and 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 disenfranchised people in the United States and, and feeds hundreds of thousands of people who need somebody who makes a real actual important difference in the world. I'm more interested in those than I am about musicians. And and normally speaking, every biopic about a musician is all the same. There's this uh, young fella who's really talented and against the odds gets their break to show their musical gift to the world, but then success gets to them and they start getting involved in bad things and they get involved in drugs and they nearly destroy themselves. But then through the help of the people around them who love them are able to lift them back up and they're able to make something out of themselves again. It's the same thing. Every single freaking musical biopic is that. But the funny thing is I say that, but honestly, the reality is there are a couple of musical biopics that I actually really like, right? Bohemian Rhapsody totally fits that exact formula, right? Formula-wise, Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man are the exact same movie. They're the exact same movie. Formula-wise, they are the exact same movie. But I really like Bohemian Rhapsody a lot. And I got to admit, I, I quite enjoyed Rock. I didn't think Rocket Man was as good as Bohemian Rhapsody, but I but I enjoyed it. I really liked Walk the Line, too. I mean, so I say that, and yet at the same time, I do actually quite enjoy some of them. So I, I'm not quite sure how to rectify that, to be honest. But you're right. Sometimes the real interesting thing about any biography, any biography, let alone ones about musicians, is also when they take an examination of the social 
context in which that person's life took place. That's also a really interesting thing as well, which, you know, Rocket Man and, and Walk the Line and Bohemia, they all did that as well. So I agree with you on that, Kevin. All right, next up. Um, the Black Knight writes, given Superman Returns was supposed to be a carry-on for Christopher Reeves' character, it still makes me smile how brilliant Brandon's Clark Kent was. Thought he fully embodied the same Clark. Shame the rest of it did not pan out. Yeah, listen, I... I unabashedly really do like Superman Returns. I contend this. You guys have probably heard me say this. Superman Returns is a very good movie. It's just not a very good comic book movie. See what I'm saying? Like this, this examination of a character study of a God man and what struggles that God man would have in a world of mortals that is his home and yet he's completely alien in on that level. This movie works really well. And I thought Brandon Routh was great as Superman. I've, I've always enjoyed Brandon Routh Superman, but a lot of people didn't like the film because it's not a very good comic book movie, right? You can't have as much as I like Superman returns. The reality is you can't have a Superman movie where the only thing he fights is a plane falling out of the sky. That's Superman's big fight is lifting a mountain and catching a plane falling out of the sky. That's his big, you know, those are his big set pieces. You can't do a Superman movie and have that right on top of some other things. Not to mention while they got a very, very talented actress to play Lois Lane, it was the wrong casting. It was just the wrong casting. Um, and, you know, they went back to the whole Lex Luthor's uh, ultimate scheme as a real estate scheme. So they went back to that again. But but yeah, I still really do like the movie. I really do. It's just not a very good comic book movie. All right. Uh, Black Knight also writes, MCU can pick up a uh, MCU. Can anyone pick up Stormbreaker uh, because it does not have Odin's spell on it? Thanos catches it when he tries to uh, split Thor in two, but when fighting Cap, he always grabs Steve's wrists. Um, here's the thing. Thor in Infinity War. I believe it's Infinity War. Or was it Endgame? I think it's Infinity War. Where he's with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's Infinity War. And Star-Lord says, when he's talking about going to Nevedalir to get this uh, God-killing weapon, and, you know, uh, Star-Lord says to him, I think we would enjoy it. By the way, uh, Kyle Anand sent in uh, a super chat badge on the live chat. Thanks for that, Kyle. Appreciate that. Um, Star-Lord goes, I think we would all like to have a weapon like that. And Thanos explains, you couldn't. The, there's so much power in these things. If a mere mortal held them, it would drive you mad, right? It would, it would drive you mad and something like that. So no, there isn't an Odin incantation on it like there is on Mjolnir, but it seems like an infinity war Thor laid the groundwork for why most people couldn't, but they, Hey, Steve was holding Stormbreaker. Remember when Thor was like, give me the big one. You have this one. Remember that? He was holding Stormbreaker. Maybe he couldn't hold it for long or I don't know, but he does seem to give that little dissertation about it. So who knows? We'll see. All right. Next up, KW Garrett writes, I saw on yesterday's open mic that you cut 40 minutes from your documentary during the editing process. Yes, I did. Any chance you'll release some deleted scenes for Patreon members? I really enjoyed the documentary, so would love to see more. You know, I hadn't thought about that. 
Maybe I will. So on the Open Mic podcast, and Open Mic, just so you know, is a podcast-only show now So for people who are subscribed to the podcast feed. Uh, but once or twice a week, we'll do an Open Mic episode. Anyway, on the most recent Open Mic, um, I explained that the first cut that I think Jonathan and I did, me and fact checker Jonathan, Jonathan Voiko, uh, who was indispensable uh, for me in, in helping me make this movie. Um, I think our first cut was a little over two hours. I think it was just a little over two hours, the first cut. And, you know, the first cut is never the movie. You know, that's the first cut is never the movie. And, when it was all said and done, it ended up being an hour and 20 minutes. So we cut a good 40 minutes out. I think we ended up cutting a good 40 minutes out. Um, will I ever take some of that stuff we cut out and maybe include it and, and let the Patreon member, maybe, you know, I hadn't really thought of that KW. That's not a bad idea. I, I'm not saying I will, but let me think about that. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Hadn't thought about it, but maybe I will. I'll, I'll keep that in mind, KW. Thank you for that. All right. R. Lee writes, John, uh, Johnny Ringo, my fight's not with you, Halliday, Tombstone 1983, Lang. I have no quarrel with you, Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, 2020, played by Michael Bean. Uh, both scenes were final showdowns played by actor Michael. Oh, that's true. They were both had him. That's right. Um, by actor Michael Bean. Filoni threw in a Tombstone reference. Uh, it is a Western. Totally. Again, I'm not going to go into details about the scene. But all I'll say is like, uh, if I say the showdown, you guys, if, for those of you who've seen the episode, you know what I'm talking about. That is very, very Tombstone. Very, very Western. And you know what? You're right, Arlie. I never put that together. But he says, I got no quarrel. That's exactly what he said before. That's well observed. I That totally went over my head. Well observed, Arlie. Thanks for sharing that, dude. All right. Mischievous Gremlin writes, one of three. Well, John, looks like we all got trolled with that title early. Uh, nice job, LOL. Overall, I thought the episode was great. And to be honest, like you, I'm not a big fan of Ahsoka, but I thought Dawson did a good job. Yeah, she really did. And listen, it's got to be said too. I was was critical, not overly critical, but I was critical of, of the episodes that Dave Filoni directed in season one. Because I, I do think, honestly, they are the least great episodes of the first season. But if I'm going to continue to be honest, I got to say, I think he did a really good job with this episode. I think you could instantly see the maturation of Dave Filoni as a live action director. Not perfect still, but I seriously, to me, the, the exponential progress and growth and improvement you've seen in his directorial choices in this episode compared to the ones he did in season one, I think can't be understated. Or overstated. He did. A, it was a really good job. Rosario Dawson was great in the role. Yes. But if Filoni botched the direction of the episode, some of that Rosario Dawson greatness would have been lost. And uh, Filoni did a really good job. He got he got to tip the cap. He did a great job. Um, anyway, I was actually more shocked that we got a grand. Oh, I'm going to skip over. Sorry, dude. I'm going to skip over that for now. Uh, Raphael's creative style. Just for those of you who are in the, the listening to the audio only podcast, I know a lot of you guys listen to the audio only podcast. I'm going to try to save you from that. All right. Raphael's creative style writes, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks there'll be an Ahsoka Tano spinoff series. I think the hint was pretty big. Also, uh, it was awesome to see Michael Bean in that episode. I completely agree. It was great to see Michael Bean in the episode. Um, 
I'm not as confident that we're going to get an Ahsoka Tano spinoff series. I think there is a possibility. And, you know, Bob Iger said that they're going to look at doing Mandalorian spinoff shows. So whether that's going to be episodes of The Marshal or whether that's going to be a show revolving around uh, Bo-Katan, whether that's going to be shows revolving around Frog Lady and Mr. Frog Lady and their kids, their tadpole kids, or whether that be Sokotano. I mean, that's all possibility. I, I had a friend of mine tell me some very solid reasons why he doesn't think that I can't share right now, why he doesn't think that you're going to see an Ahsoka Tano spinoff series. But so I'm still going to guess that there's not going to be, but it is, it is possible. I'm not going to be surprised if they do, you know, I think it is still quite possible. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Derek Woodrin uh, tips in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. Uh, morning, John and gang. So you titled the Friday show to mess with people. Good, good. Let the hate flow through you. A uh, great joke because I was wondering what you would have hated about her because I loved it. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's important to remember too. When I first posted the live event, I had, I first posted it with the real title, right? When I first posted the show and it went up and people first started jumping in the chat board, I had the real title up. It wasn't until I saw that one person go, if he says he didn't like this, I'm going to unsubscribe. Then I went, cool. And I went full throttle troll on it. I just, I love the title. I, I love that title I came up with. How Ahsoka Tano ruined the Mandalorian with her suckiness. <laughs> that may be the best title I've ever come up with. Um, yeah, so I started it with the real title and then I switched it to the troll title. And then kept the troll title up for about a half hour or 40 minutes or something like that. And then took it down. I got it. Listen, I laughed. My, I know I was pissing a lot of people off. That was just making me happier. Oh, my God. Sitting back and watching all the people all mad for me saying that I didn't like the episode and I didn't like Ahsoka Tano. I was sitting. You should have seen me. I was sitting in my chair. My Anne had to come up. It's like, what is going on? Because I was just laughing my fool ass off sitting in my chair. Oh my God. It was glorious. It was so fun. Um, I, I won't do that again because if you do it too many times and everybody thinks nobody will ever take you seriously. So I do that every very, very rarely. I do stuff like that very, very, very rarely, but I'm not going to lie. It was, I had a good time. That was pretty fun. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's next is, uh, uh, oh, and, and Helmer, uh, Barco, Sent in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Helmer. Appreciate that, dude. Um, let's see. Kika S. Did I miss somebody or is Kika S. next? Yes. And again, thanks for that, Derek. Appreciate that, man. Kika S. writes, first, congrats on your film. Thank you so much. I truly enjoyed it and really appreciated the work you put into it. Second, that has to be the best prank slash clickbait with the original title for today's show. I literally LOL'd when I saw it and I watched your behind the scenes video. Thank you so much. I'm glad, I'm glad people, so there were a good amount of people that instantly got it. And listen, there were also a lot of people I saw in the chat. So kudos to you. There were a lot of people in the chat that were like saying, I don't think can't be serious because even when he doesn't like something, he won't write words like suckiness in his titles, right? So there was there was a bunch of people in the, in the live chat who instantly got it. So tip of the hat to you guys that you picked up on that. So because if I hated the episode, I just would have I wouldn't have said it in the title of my review, right? If I hated the episode, I just would have said Mandalorian Ahsoka Tano. Maybe I, maybe I would have used the word disappoints. Maybe I might have said 
the Mandalorian, the Jedi episode disappoints, or, or maybe I would have gone that far, but I, I don't use terms like suckiness in my titles, right? But it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, Roll of the Egg writes, Hey, John, regarding your I'm going to tell them I hated it trick, I was two seconds away from phoning my cardiologist. He dissed Rosario effing Dawson. Kidding. To me, that seems like something Ann would do. Oh, that totally is something Ann would have done. Oh, my God. That is what I did. I totally blame on Ann. That is Ann's influence on me. 1000%. That is my wife's influence on me. Uh, your show remains a joy. Come forth. Uh, the filthy must. Thanks a lot for that, man. I'm glad you didn't have to call your cardiologist. Uh, uh, Finn writes, I watched your show since I was 14. Now I'm 21 in my final year of film school, prepping to wreck my second short film. That is awesome, man. I'm envious. That is amazing. Uh, thanks for being my version of Mr. Rogers, shaping my love for film and giving me an escape from the depression for an hour or two every single day. Now listen, dude, it's not me. It's the fan community. And whether you're engaging with the fan community on my show or Christian show or on this channel or that channel or whatever, um, just being plugged into a fan, a movie fan community. Uh, I, I just know for me, it's very important. And it, it just adds that thing that we've talked about already. And I, I just, it's a great balance and I'm glad that the film fan community is able to be here for that. And I'm, I'm honored that you're here as a part of this community. Very, very much Finn. So dude, again, congratulations on rounding out film school and prepping work on your next short. I think that's amazing. And uh, that is awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. All right. Next up, Max G writes, Hey, John and crew. I hope you all enjoyed your hot. By the way, you might've seen Rob, Robert Meyer Burnett's not here today. Uh, Robert had, uh, he had internet issues, uh, in his neighborhood. You know, he, he texted me early this morning. He and I were going back and forth. So he sends his regards, uh, but anyway, but he'll be back. Don't worry. He'll be back on Monday. Uh, Max G writes, Hey, John and crew. I hope you all enjoyed your holiday. I did uh, a bit of context. I've not been to the theater since the day, since the debut of Joker. My girlfriend and I went this past Wednesday. I had such a blast. My local Cinemark made us feel welcome and safe. Listen, I hadn't been into a movie theater in six months when new mutants came out i drove three and a half hours to las vegas where they had an open movie theater to watch new mutants turned around drove three and a half hours back the and then i and then a little bit later they opened a movie theater in anaheim that's about an hour 45 minutes from me and i went there both times i haven't been to the theater since both times i was extremely impressed with the safety protocols and how safe they made me feel. I, I felt much safer than I do in a grocery store. I'll tell you that right now. And the grocery store does a really good job making me feel comfortable too. But the safety protocols in the movie theaters were out of this world. Absolutely out of this world. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm glad you had that experience, man. All right. Max G also writes, also just wanted uh, to let you know that in my 24 years, I've never, not once ever seen anyone of the original Star Wars movies. I know a bit of stuff, but never seen the movies. I've seen the new sequels and I watched um, The Mandalorian 2. I will be watching all six this weekend. Listen, you can just leave it at the three. Just leave it at the three. I am infamous. I don't like the prequels. You don't need to watch the prequels. I would say just watch Star Wars or at least watch the original trilogy. Star Wars, Empire, Return of the Jedi. Watch the original trilogy 
And then later, if you want, watch the prequels. Just just put some separation between. I don't want you to mingle the experiences with the two. I, yeah. and then, and, but to be fair, there are many Star Wars fans that do like the prequels. So keep that in mind, too. But yeah, I, I just say watch the original one. Just watch the original trilogy. Just watch that. Anyway, I hope you have a good time with it, Max. Okay, next up. Uh, let's see. B. Moore writes. I've gained a ton of respect for Zack Snyder due to the amount of his energy and time that he's devoted to fans, especially as of late. By the way, me and the family watched your documentary last night in lieu of the Steelers game, of course, because the Steelers and uh, Ravens game got canceled due to COVID Uh, being canceled. Everyone loved it. Well, thank you so much for that, man. I really, really appreciate that. It's good to know that. And look, one of the things and I, I was critical, actually. Because uh, I've always been a Zack Snyder fan, especially because of Man of Steel. But I was even I, I was critical of because I just thought he was getting himself going to get himself in hot water with Warner Brothers. Turns out it was all coordinated effort, but that he might have just been harping on the Snyder cut too much. And I was I was honestly and I said on my show, I, I'm afraid he's going to hurt his career if he keeps doing that. But obviously it worked out well. He is very, very connected, like kind of like Dwayne The Rock Johnson says, so very, very connected with his fan base. What I'm going to be interested in seeing is, you know, Snyder is standing behind Amber Heard. And there's a lot of people who are released the Snyder Cut fans who are very anti-Amber Heard. And I'm I'm just going to be, and, you know, we saw Zach decide I'm still going to have her in my movie. I'm still going to use her in reshoots. And we just saw the movie that Zack Snyder, the trailer, I should say, that Zack Snyder cut. He cut his trailer, making sure he featured Amber Heard in the trailer. He didn't need to do that, but he featured, she's got her own one shot in the trailer. So it's going to be interesting to see how there's going to be a conflicted part of that fan community that is going to be a little bit conflicted between their fandom of the Snyder cut and the fact that they really don't like Amber Heard, but they're going to have to reconcile the fact that Zack Snyder is standing behind Amber Heard. So it's going to be interesting. For me, I, I don't care. For me, I I think Amber Heard did a really good job playing Mara. I think it's good that Zack Snyder is going to keep her in there. And, and it sounds like even expanding her role a little bit. So, and that's not a commentary on what I think about the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp situation whatsoever. I'm just saying, I think it's good that she's still in there. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from there. All right, next up, um, do, 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 send Pygar writes. I'm loving The Mandalorian. All the directors, cast, and crew have been doing amazing work. I thought Rosario's Ahsoka looked good and spoke her lines very close to how uh, Ashley did in The Clone Wars, but I expected to be spot on uh, with Dave directing. Yeah, the, I will say the one thing, and I've seen other people mention this too, and this isn't a Dave Filoni issue or anything, or or the writing, or, or Rosario, or anything. The one thing that started to bother me a little bit is, let me see if I can bring up this image. I'll see if I can get it here. I think I can. That's not good. You know what? Let me bring up the show's thumbnail. The show's thumbnail. Okay. Here's the one thing that bothered me a, just a little bit. As the show went on, it started to bother me just a little bit. You see the, the creases in her head tails, right? That's supposed to look like, oh, that's just supposed to look like age, like human skin. The, the way the creases and the folds and the lines that we get in skin. But 
for me, and this is just a practical effect issue. This isn't an issue with Rosario's performance. This isn't an issue with Dave Filoni's directing. None, none of that at all. I just, after, as the show progressed, it started to just look like it was bad foam. It started to look like the head tails were kind of bad foam. And that's unusual because like normally their costuming stuff is like top, top notch. But I don't know. That's just kind of desperately looking for something to nitpick. I guess it's just a nitpick. Just it's just a nitpick. But that did. I did realize as the show progressed and we got more and more close up shots of Rosario as the character that those like creases started. They just started to stand out to me that, yeah, it looks like a foam thing that she's wearing on her head. But you know what I loved? You know what I loved? Let me bring this up. I loved the eyes. They nailed the eyes, the color of the eyes with the way Rosario Dawson emotes with her face looked so cool. I, I, I could stay. Well, first of all, let's be clear. I could stare into Rosario Dawson's eyes all day anyway. Um, and if that sounds creepy, you're right. It is a little bit creepy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I could stare into Rosario Dawson's eyes all day, but the way they made them look with the costume looked fabulous. And I, if I'm going to criticize the creases in the foam headtails, I'm going to point out the glory of just how great they made her face and her eyes in particular look. I thought that looked stunning. I thought that looked absolutely stunning. All right. Uh, anyway, next up. Uh, in Nolan North, I trust, writes, Hey, John, I just rented your documentary. Bravo, 10 out of 10. I wish Don LaFontaine was alive for you to interview him. I would have loved that too. And we, of course, we feature Don LaFontaine uh, in the documentary uh, for you to interview him. Was it hate or love at first sight when you were introduced to Anne? Happy Thanksgiving from London, UK. Well, no, I, it's funny. I met Anne. Uh, let me see if I can, I can bring this up here. Um, I met Anne a number of years ago. I was helping a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, uh, Mark Neveldeen and Brian Taylor. I was helping Mark Neveldeen and Brian Taylor uh, promote a movie that they were making called Pathology. They were doing a movie called Pathology that they wrote and produced. And it starred the guy from Heroes, Peter Petrelli from Heroes, now the multi-Emmy-nominated actor uh, Milo Ventimiglia. So uh, Milo was starring in this movie, right? And some of you have heard the story before. So Mark and Brian, they rap on this Milo film. And they ask me if I will pull together a party to celebrate the finishing of the film. And invite all the other online web movie influencers to come to it. So I did. I, I organized this party with, with the help of a couple of other friends. And we organized this party. And Milo, um, who I was having on my show, who was coming into my studio the next day to do a live show with me. Milo had this like his own like kind of online social club called the Divide Social Club. The DSC is what it was called. Milo, you can go look it up, the Milo Ventimiglia DSC. And Milo invited members of the DSC who happened to live in LA or in the LA area and wanted to also come to this party. Anne was one of those members of the DSC. Anne was one of them. And I had already met Milo because I went and visited the set of Mark and Brian's movie. So that's where I got to hang out with Milo on set for a day. Uh, it was really cool. It was good to see him again, all that kind of stuff. 
So he invited like five or six people from the DSC to come to the party. And Anne was one of those people. And that is the night that I met Anne. That's the night I met Anne. Now, one of the executives of the movie was hitting on Anne that night. So I didn't like really know her, like because I hit on her or went to introduce myself to her or anything like that. Like I met her that night, but one of the movie execs was kind of macking on her that night. So it's whatever. The next day, when I was doing my live show with a company called Now Live at the time, I was doing my live show. I had Mark and Brian in and they brought Milo with them. So Milo came into my show too. And Anne called into the show and she talked to my producer and my producer at the time was Benny Fine of the Fine Brothers, you know, one of the biggest YouTube channels in the world. My producer at the time was Benny Fine. Benny Fine was taking my, was screening my calls for me. The Fine Brothers, before they became the big monster successes that they are, were screening my calls for me and look at them now. <laughs> anyway, so I think it was Benny Fine took the call and, and she wanted to get through. So he said, so he asked her, what are you going to ask? And blah, blah. And then she, she happened to ask her, she could get my, my contact information. Cause she wanted to get my contact information. She wanted to get my email address and contact me. And uh, so Anne made the first move as hard as it is to believe. Anne made the first move in our relationship and made the first move in our relationship. And, uh, we connected after that. We went out for a date and that was 10 years ago. We've been together ever since. Well, that was 11 years ago. We've been together ever since. And, um, yeah. And it's all thanks to Milo. Milo. I, I always tell Milo whenever I've communicated with him, dude, I owe you like you're responsible for me meeting and <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it is what it is. That's my little story. But that's that's how I first met man. And it was uh, I was I listen and I it wasn't love at first sight because I was kind of new to L.A. And I was just looking to date. To be honest with you, I just came to L.A. looking to date around a lot. And it's, especially when I first got to L.A., I was already in a dating relationship and we were going to try the long distance thing with this girl in Canada. Really great girl. But we realized pretty quickly the long distance thing wasn't going to work. And so I instantly went into, you know what? I'm just this Canadian kid in LA. I'm just going to date around a whole bunch. And I thought Anne would be the next girl that I would just date around a bunch with. And Anne was just coming out of like a six-year relationship. So she's like, yeah, I'm not looking for anything serious anyway. Great. And we've been together ever since. And now we're married. So there it is. There. Are, anyway, sorry. Long story that nobody wanted to hear or asked about. But that was uh, that's the story of me and Anne. Uh, let's see. Um, that was in Nolan. Next up, uh, Dirk B writes, Hey, John, great show as always. Thank you so much. Have you heard anything about Disney Plus's Moon Knight? Rumors around Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight didn't hype me. Don't get me wrong. Great actor, but portraying a 200, 220 pound guy. Meh, any thoughts about this? I think he'll be great. Listen, I always say I don't care about X actor and X role. The thing I care about is before I see the movie is, did you get somebody talented? Oscar Isaac is an amazing actor. I don't care what you think about the new Star Wars movies. I don't care. He is a great actor. And uh, I mean, whether you look talking about Inside Lewin Davis or a lot of the other stuff that he's done, he is a phenomenal talent. And he's, he's a respectably big guy, actually. So I'm totally good with it. 
I am totally, totally good with it. I, I think he's going to do a bang up job. I really do. I think he's going to be great in it. All right. Next up, Canadian singing Posty writes in, Hey, John, again, enjoyed your documentary while on the road. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's a wonderful work and educational. I rented it as a Patreon supporter. Now I'm buying it. And here is a little more money to support your channel and future projects. Well, thank you for that a lot. By the way, Canadian singing Posty, he's got a YouTube channel. Uh, he is literally what his name is. He is a singing uh, Canadian postal worker. And he's amazing. I've shared some of his stuff before. You should go check it out. Thank you for that. Canadian singing post. He appreciate that, man. All right. Dark Knight rises writes, Hey, John, Daniel day Lewis is retired, but what do you think it would take for him to come out of it? My guess, it would only be Scorsese or Paul Thomas Anderson with a phenomenal script that has his name written all over it. Honestly, I don't think that'll get him out of retirement. The only thing that I think will get Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement is boredom. I think it's boredom. If he finds himself at some point saying, you know what? Cobbling shoes is great. He cobbles shoes, by the way. Cobbling shoes is great. But uh, I feel like doing something. I'm getting this a little creative itch. I feel like I want to do something. And honestly, I think if he does come out of retirement to do something, I don't think he'll do something that he's always done before. I think he'll come out and work with a different director. I mean, maybe one he's worked with once or twice. Like he worked with Steven Spielberg on Lincoln, and he won an Academy Award for that. Well, I mean, he runs lots of Academy Awards. But, I mean, he won an Academy Award for Lincoln. Maybe he works with a Spielberg, or maybe he does. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not just trying to say this to be far-fetched. Maybe he comes out to do a comic book movie or a straight-up comedy. I think for something to get him to come out of retirement, it's going to be – the invigoration that comes from maybe doing something he had never done before comic book film, action film, straight up comedy, what have you. Um, I think that might be what it takes again. He is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. So anyway, uh, let's see. Dark Knight rises writes, what are great first date movies? Uh, looking any, the only, thing that I don't think is a great first date movie is something overly depressing. But honestly, any movie can be a good first date because what a movie as a first date does is it gives you a shared experience. This is why I always would tell people don't do when you're just going on first dates, don't do dinner and then a movie. That's stupid. You don't really know each other that well. You go to dinner. It's awkward. You're sitting there at dinner. Blah, blah. Then you go to a movie and you're sitting in a quiet room and you're not talking to each other. And then the night's over. No, what you do is you do a movie and then a late dinner. So you go to the movie together. You laugh or cry or get excited or get thoughtful or get whatever. And you, you have that shared experience. And then you come out of the theater, you go to dinner. Now you've got a shared point of You have a shared point of reference. You have this movie that you just experienced together. And you got tons of stuff. Now you guys can talk about, and it's a great gateway. So really, since what you need from a movie in a first date is a shared experience, it can be any kind of movie that delivers an experience, whether it's sad or exciting or funny or actiony, whatever it is, just get that shared experience. Make sure it's a movie that gives, that's why horror movies, honestly, that's why horror movies are great first date movies. Not because you're scared, but because they really hit an experience, right? They really hit an experience. 
fear in a horror movie is a great, very um, obvious experience. So that's what makes them great dates. Anyway, uh, next up. Dark Knight Rises writes, I just saw movie trailers, a love story. Great stuff. I would love someone to start a campaign to cut movie trailers to four to five max. I'm not the young buck I used to be, and I'm prone to not off waiting 30 extra minutes for movie trailers for movies to start. Yeah, I do. T- there is a part of my documentary that discusses how many movie trailers there are. We do talk about that. I'm not going to give away anything, but there definitely is that part. And I'm uh, clearly Dark Knight. If you've watched my documentary, you know, I agree with you. You know, I totally agree with you, but we do cover that in the documentary. Thanks so much, Dark Knight, for checking out the documentary. And thank you for your kind words, man. All right. Next up. And our final question of the day comes to us from Senpaigar, who writes, Mortal Kombat 11 just put out a skin pack for Raiden, Johnny, and Sonya Blade uh, based on the characters from the 1995 film. That's awesome. Uh, With the voice talent from the actors, Christopher Lambert, uh, Lyndon Ashby, and Bridget Wilson also had Kerry uh, Tanagua as Shang Tsung. I love him. He's great. Um, That's awesome. It's it's funny. My brother-in-law was over here last night. And uh, the guy who's married to Anne's sister, who's also Canadian, by the way, my brother-in-law's Canadian as well. Both the both Anne and her sister married Canadian guys. Anyway, and we were talking about Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 11 and the different skins. I didn't know they were putting out skins specifically of the characters from the original movie. That's pretty cool. Oh, it's it's a shtick. It's a gimmick. But shticks and gimmicks can be fun if you do them the right way. And that sounds like a pretty good fun one. So I like that. That's a cool idea. All right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and making this show a part of your day. I hope you guys have a terrific weekend ahead of yourselves. Don't forget, if you are a fan of Mandalorian, Ann and I, my wife, will be doing a live open spoiler discussion of Mandalorian, the Jedi episode today at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's 7 p.m. on the East Coast in Canada and uh, and the U.S., but 4 p.m. Pacific, Pacific Time. I hope you guys, if you watch Mandalorian, you guys want to come and join us for that discussion. It should be a fun one. Guys, please make sure to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. And once again, shameless plug, shameless plug, shameless plug. Don't forget, guys, to go and check out my my new movie, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. It is available worldwide, everywhere in the world. You can get it at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. But if you happen to live in the US or the UK and you want it in another way, you can get it on Amazon as well. And thank you very much to all you guys who have already rented it um, or bought it. It means an awful lot to me. And if you have rented it on Amazon or stuff like that or on Vimeo, please make sure to leave comments and rate the movie and all that stuff. That would be great. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here today. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.